Everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk number three hundred and sixty-three. That's right. It's um, Sonic Talk three hundred and sixty-three. <laughs> what, what more can I say? Uh, brought to you as ever by Isotope, uh, sponsors of this fine show. There'll be a message from them later, and also a winner of the competition, uh, where uh, every week we're giving away a, a valuable piece of uh, Isotope property, uh, one of the which is currently Iris, the uh, spectral synthesizer. So more on that a little bit later. But uh, for now, I'm going to jump back to my guests. We're a small, intimate panel this week as the summer kicks in. You know, people have got other stuff to do, like sit by the river and drink mint juleps. You know, stuff like that. I, I'm going to try that one day, but perhaps not on a Wednesday this time. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us. And also, everybody in the chat room, we have everybody there. Uh, I think the latency's down a bit this week, which is great, because uh, I know we had a little bit of difficulty last week. But as I've, uh, I don't want to fall back into moaning about my technology, so I'm going to moan about... Um, Oh, I'll think of something else to moan about. Anyway, Rich Hilton is here. Hiltonius.com, a keyboard player with chic Nile Rogers band, and also studio guy of Mr. with Mr. Nile Rogers in his personal studio. A couple of strats back there, is there? Well, is that a telly back there? I can see a couple of headstocks. It's, uh, one is a strat and one is an ESP sort of strat. Ah, strat, strat, stratavarius, as, they, uh, as we call them. Excuse me. Anyway, Rich, how the heck are you? Are you well? I'm good. Yeah, thank you. I'm good. It's starting to feel pretty hot in here, I must say. It's uh, it's warming up. The summer's starting to kick in. Storm is in the air. I don't, uh, we were promised all sorts of thunder and lightning, very, very frightening this week, but none of it's happened, which is great, because obviously that's just all good news. Anyway, I'm also going to come back to Mr. Mark Tinley, who's uh, got a new hat on today. He's a sort of berry beret. Hello. <laughs> Purple beret, yeah. A purple beret, raspberry beret, perhaps right, even. Go, blimey, governor! Very, very Glastonbury, isn't it? Glastonbury, Ebenezer, <laughs> good. I got a few elves in my pocket. Actually, you are in Glastonbury, aren't you, Mark Tinley? Of course, is also. I've got some elves in my pocket, and I got a couple of fairies. Actually, I'm going to a fairy dance on Saturday to go really? and see the fairies in the fairy field, and everyone is invited. If you want to come and see fairies. Meet at 5 p.m. in Morrison's car park. Is that right, Gina? 5 p.m. Yeah, 5 p.m. Morrison's car park. We're going to see fairies with a druid, a real. Are they guaranteed one. fairies? I mean, do we have absolute guarantee that we will see a fairy, or do you need to be a special kind of person with a special mental state to be able to view said fairies? I don't know. I'll tell you after Saturday. Ask me next week. I mean, okay. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm a special kind of person with a special kind of state. Some people might think I'm in a special kind of state, but <laughs> well, I that disagree sounds, with them. I'm sounds fascinating. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to looking forward to finding out more about it. I've, curiously enough, I'm actually reading a book about. Um, uh, 19th century magic. It's a fictional book called uh, the Stra- Mr. Strange and Mr. Norrell. It's about two magicians, oh, right. and they're, they're dealing oh, with right. fairies. It's all made up. Obviously, I'm not actually obsessed with fairies or magic. It's just an interesting sort of uh, audible title. I'd like to get them as a sponsor one day. But anyway, that's I digress. Mark, of course, markchinley.co.uk, sound artist, creative thinker, hat-wearing dude, and fairy catcher, maybe. We'll find out. <laughs> 
Not sure like, if you should be able to fight, actually catch a fairy. That might hey, not be I'll so good. I'll take the binaural microphones. I might end up with some binaural recordings of fairies. At the, I could do a sound library, couldn't I? That, that would be, be awesome. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You could sell it to uh, the, the Discovery Channel, perhaps, if, even if nothing else. Well, any, anyone who's doing the music for a Lord of the Rings kind of thing, I could, be, <laughs> I could be, provide them with some sound. You could. Fairies laughing, fairies whispering, fairies flying, perhaps. Fairies dancing. Now, that's got to be, um, got to be in demand, hasn't it? Sure. We'll see, though. I'm, I'm going to remain open-minded, and whatever happens, happens, I guess. Okay, well, that sounds fascinating. I'm looking, I'm looking forward next week with more trepidation than I could poss- you could possibly imagine. Anyway, let's get on with stuff, shall we? Um, of course, I did say that Isotope sponsored the show, didn't I? And I did say thank you to the chat room. Nice, lot, plenty of people in the chat room. There we go. There, they get that we've had it nice and colourised, so we can see them. We've got that shot and that shot. Of course, if you're listening to the audio version only of the podcast, this is also available on YouTube. We put it up every day afterwards. And if you do go on YouTube, please subscribe because we're uh, we're trying to increase our subscriber numbers, and we do release a lot of other good stuff too. Lots of reviews. I don't know if you saw this week. We had a, a review of the uh, Mutable Instruments yarns, which which is uh, MIDI to CV out um, multi uh, four-way uh, MIDI CV unit. So yeah, do check out. And there's lots of other stuff coming as well. We've got a big pile of uh, videos just sort of queuing up now, which is very interesting. Anyway, so um, let's have a look at our first topic. Uh, I think I have a video for this. There it is. This is the Eventide Ultra Channel. Quite a comprehensive plugin. This is presumably the AAX version. I'm guessing you've got various different versions of that. I should have probably checked, really, shouldn't I? Because that's the sort of thing that one does when one researches. AUVST <laughs> AAX64, Mac and PC, in fact. Yes, there you go. Normally costs 249 quid. Works in all of these. It's quite interesting because it, you can. What, I didn't play the whole video, but you can reorder those modules so you can move the EQ to the other side of the compressor. There's a compressor, Optopressor, which is an emulation of their hub, and it's free. Did you see that? It went free, free till the July the eighth, two thousand and fourteen, which is awesome. Um, I mean, it's two hundred forty-nine quid. They're giving it away free. Does require an iLock uh, account. Um, but it's free. Did I say that was free? That, I mean, that's astonishing. How the hell do they do that, Mark? I don't know. I'm confused, though, because I've got an iLock account. Is that it there? No, no that's some other... That's a dongle. the other ones. I don't know where it is. I've got an iLock account. I signed up for it. It took me a little while to work out where the code was, but then I looked in the frequently asked questions and found the code. Signed up for it. They deposited the license in my iLock account. I can't uh-huh. work out how to download the software. Ah, it said they'd send me a link, so I'm and waiting for one. the link, and I've looked everywhere for the link, and I can't find a link, so either I'm being really unbelievably stupid, and somebody can point it out to me and just say, Mark, it's actually here, because this happens when I go to the supermarket. I go and speak to the staff and say, excuse me, can you tell me where I could find the ketchup? And they go, it's, it's right in front there. Of, yeah, in front of you, you idiot. Yeah. Yes, I know and that I just, feeling. I go blank on things sometimes, but um, I can't work out how to download it, and I'm sort of waiting for them to email me the link. So Ah, it's well, not in no my spam. Uh, well, I would say Sonic, Sonic 2656 is saying it's working nicely in his Sonar X3 right there. Yeah, well, maybe he can send me the link. <laughs> maybe so. I, I think I can, Mark. Ah, okay. <laughs> have you got it then, Rich? Have you, have you tried it out? 
Oh, uh, yeah, and it came I between, um, wow, really? And the time I was running, it was less than 10 minutes. Wow. So uh, it, it's very good. It really is very good. It does a lot of stuff. That Omnipressor was very impressive. Pardon the the Omnipressor is very good. I had not heard it in its hardware form, but I was really impressed with what this one did. The EQ worked well and sounded good. Uh, the compressor, the other compressor is somewhere between okay and okay. And I didn't try the gate, but uh, the EQ and the Omnipressor really impressed me. And uh, they have a couple of fancy uh, delay tricks down at the bottom with yeah. stereo you know tempo sync stereo delays and um, the p micro pitch shift that everybody loves from That's the original that for harmonizers doubling. is that for yeah. that would give you that doubling effect yeah the brought the wide thing it gets you out wide ah uh, okay uh it's a nice stereoizer kind of delay pitch based thing That's pretty cool i mean i don't think i've seen this done before it's just like yeah you can have it it's like, well, why would nobody, but why would, it, I mean, I don't understand how you, what the sales model is for that exactly. I suppose if you realise that you, you didn't get it sorted out so, you know, any sooner, and I guess it's on iLock. Although I must say, uh, when you read it, you think, oh, iLock. I've got an iLock and I had to dig out the details. But actually, you don't, these days, you don't actually need an iLock iLock. You need an iLock account, which has got a little app that you can download, which authorises it. So you don't actually have to have one, right, Rich? Right. You don't have to have a hardware iLock. You do have to have their... Uh iLock uh, licensed software on your computer, but yeah. you don't have to have a physical hardware iLock, although you can put it on an iLock, and I have. But um, what I think the business model for this is, is showing up right there in our chat window, because people are right away saying, well, I want to hear this in digital now, and I want to hear that in digital now. They haven't made, I think, as much of a foothold in people's plug-in folders as they'd like. Right. And this is, I think, designed as a loss leader to stimulate business interest in them as a company and, and stimulate awareness of them as a company who is addressing that market with some creative products. They do have other products out there. The, the, I think there's an emulation of the 2016 Reverb, is it? The, uh, the, the, the early digital reverb? Am I thinking of a different uh, okay. Rm, uh, No, even RMX 16, that's uh, not Eventide, is it? That's uh, No, that's the... Uh, uh, AMS, but, AMS, but at the yeah. same time, uh, Eventide had a digital reverb. I think it was called 2016, but my memory could be failing me. But anyway, I think they have some other software products, and uh, just generally, they're not that deep in people's DAW fold, you know, plug-in folders. So well, I that's think an interesting an idea. That's a really yeah, interesting idea. Already, had a if you look at if you look at our chat window already, people are going, well, let me see the digital H8000 or let me see the digital, you know, whatever your favorite harmonizer. Yeah, or the free hardware version. <laughs> yeah, I don't yes. expect to see that anytime soon. No, I don't think so either. It's a really interesting idea, though, because, I mean, they've got all of the, you know, Eventide is built on kind of DSP algorithms, isn't it, pretty much? I mean, ever since way back, you know, the Eventide stuff, digital reverbs, digital harmonizers, uh, well, I guess they would have been some analog to them as well. Uh, Multi-effects, I mean, all of their stuff, the H3000, H the H, you know, all of that stuff. I suppose if they start releasing that, then that's going to really, uh, you could see where it might might go, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I and thought I they had the original, they had the first I thought they had an H3000 plug-in. They might do. I was just... plug-in. Have they I'm really? I'm pretty sure they do, except it's an H4, 
Is it the H4000 instead, I think, than the H3000? But I'm not 100% sure. H3000. Native VS says in the chat room it's, uh, it's H3000, which I'm probably uh, I'm going div- div- you know, to defer to that. But just there were so many I, different I versions of the H3000. Which version was it? SE, HD, yeah, I remember. The, the H3000 like- really really made it in live didn't it as well as studio people would take yeah, it out brilliant. on the road it was just and for guitarists as well it was a really all, lots of guitarists i know absolutely swore by it and they had to have it in their rack right you know just... you know who wrote most of that h3000 right no who's that mr sound toys the guys oh, who really? were sound toys uh were even tides software team at the time i, I did not know that and didn't they do uh, diva yeah. as well in digidesign the D-verb algorithm is supposed to be roughly based on the H3000, isn't it? Can I go backwards a little bit? Yes, of course Back you can. I lock. Rewind. I used to hate iLocks. I now really like iLocks because I just got my Mac Mini back and I plugged it in and they put a new logic board in it, which is very nice of Apple, but it's completely messed up all of my software in- installations. Oh, the only to the CPU. that just work straight away is anything that's on iLock. Everything else, I've spent half the day reauthorizing all my software and 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 recognizing that lots of the IK multimedia plugins software that I've got is now all rearranged again, which means when I load old songs that had earlier versions of the plugins in, it won't necessarily find them, and then I'll have to go through. I might, I might not even. I mean, I never save presets. I just let it save all as part of the song. So I think I might lose a few things along the way now because I can no longer authorize those plugins because they've changed the whole authorization method. As have Waves. Waves now have it. I've got it on a USB stick. Right. You might be interested to know that Waves gets eaten by Windows 8.1. So Windows 8.1 just went. Oh, what's that? Software authorization? No, it's not. Gone. Um, oh. So I had to. Oh, I lost. I've lost an instance of authorization, which is why I put it on the USB stick. Because if it's on my hard right. drive, it just keeps disappearing. And oh no! I asked the Waves people about that, and they know about it and said that it is an issue. But uh, Waves isn't authorized to run on anything after Windows Seven. I think he said. But I can't remember exactly. That's a little bit of an oversight, surely. If you're actually computer programmers for a living, but uh, Rich, you yeah. don't want to come in. They've also yeah. gone over to a dongle-based authorization system, Waves, except they want their own dongle. Of course. Well, no, it, right. it just any, goes any, on a USB stick. Right, You just, right. You, you just have flash. to buy a USB stick and format it to FAT32 or whatever it is, and you stick that in, and it somehow it must take the, the, uh, the serial number of the USB stick or something to, to authorize it. And then if you plug that USB stick into any computer... I keep thinking, what if I accidentally wipe it off? <laughs> Forget it's that one. So I've marked it up really clearly so that I don't like give it to someone and go, oh, here's a here's the family photos, <laughs> mum. Oh no, yeah. hang on, that's my software authorizations. Ah. Yeah, hand it in as part of a school yeah. project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> any of that. Well, there's always downsides to everything. Where there's the possibility for uh, incompetency, then incompetency will generally occur at some point, um, unless one is particularly careful. But it's pretty cool, I must say. I like the look of this. And so, Rich, have you actually used it in uh, in anger yet, or just purely in um, in checking outness? Well, no, in checking outness. But 
I uh, loaded up Pro Tools and uh, popped it on an existing live two-track recording of the band from sometime last year or two years ago or something. And uh, from from uh, anyway, uh, and played around with it and really thought it did things well. It did what I wanted it to do for the most part. If it's not terribly DSP hungry, it could be a very nice thing. Yeah, I'm not sure what the uh, what I didn't the check, but I didn't see. Is. I mean, I wasn't. I didn't put up. You know, in other words, I didn't put up 64 of them to see if it made my machine choke or anything. I didn't do that. It says it's 64-bit friendly. What is the advantage yeah. of that? Because it's not using like a load of memory or anything, is it? I mean, I don't understand what a no, 64. No, it runs comfortably within 64-bit host environments. Right. That's what I think that means. I suppose that's quite a bonus, isn't it? Because a lot also, of plo- that. Sorry, also relates to the way the processing itself is handled mathematically, though I don't know what the sonic benefit is at that end of it. Right. I'm not sufficiently I don't think there is a sonic benefit. benefit. Is there no floating point mathematics or calculations or anything like that, maybe? I mean, I, I am guessing, wildly. Maybe the chat room will know. They're not... They're probably a couple of seconds... Go My on. understanding is that there's no sonic benefit to using a 64-bit processor... 64-bit software can just access more memory, more than four gigabytes per application, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Is it randomly guessing? <laughs> it so is, it basically but... means if you've got a massive four-gigabyte piano loaded in and you've got 64 gigabytes of memory in your computer, it will just sit there comfortably, whereas if you're using a 32-bit application, it will go, I've hit uh-huh. the biggest number possible in 32 bits and I can't, load anything else in here sorry and then it will kind of stumble so it's just uh, um it's future proofing i suppose allowing you more yeah. space but then at the same time it kills off it killed off all my 32-bit plugins but i do believe there's some kind of a bridge now as well so you can use your 32-bit plugins in your 64-bit programs but um I don't have that. that was was that a J- oh, on, J-Bridge or something? I, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's free till the 8th of July at midnight, and you download it. You need an iLock account. Uh, I think lots of people are seeing, I, the, when they see the word iLock, they go, oh, no, I don't want an iLock. It's not an iLock. So, yeah, just, just bear that in mind. So if you perhaps were thinking it's not for you, it might be worth trying out. I mean, you know, the very worst, what are iLock going to get? Your email address, you know, could be worse, I think, and, and even tied as well. So, yes, Pretty good stuff. All right. Um, so uh, let me get to my show notes again. Um, what time is it? I don't think we're ready. Oh, I suppose we could. We could do the... Yeah, why not? I'll do the ad now because um, why the heck not? I'm a bit early, but I don't mind. So obviously, uh, after the ad, there will be news of a new competition and the news of the winner. So uh, first of all, we just want to say thank you very much to Isotope. Um, oops, I forgot to press the right button here. And maybe the ad will play. Or maybe it won't. There it goes. Isotope Iris. That's right. The spectral synthesizer that was born out of Sonic Talk when we were talking about how amazing the uh, spectral analysis and repairs uh, tools were for... Gosh, RX3, that's right, I was thinking. So, yeah, amazing things. Natural, inventive, uh, intuitive selection tools. You can manipulate your audio visually. You can see the image of your sound, draw and select individual events and process them separately with it. warm, lush filters, delays, reverbs, chorus and distortions for each layer. There are up to four layers. Uh, sound libraries, you can mix the sounds of wood, glass, food toys or your own sounds, as well as crazy modular synthesizer pitch percussion on the RS expansion packs. It's a 
a groundbreaking sample based synthesizer just to go back to basics and it's a new spin on sound design a visual instrument that's perfect for inspiration and sonic implementation it's one of those things that when the director says I want it to have more than more this you could sort of bring in a sound that conveys that it's just it philosophically works as well on so many levels uh, you could download a free demo uh, isotope iris isotope.com forward slash iris and it works and everything it just runs for 10 days so do check it out and of course uh, we did have a winner from last week uh, last week we ran the competition uh, oh I'm just trying to find my um, where is it I've lost my oh no I've lost my notes for um, for the winner I'm just have to to, to throw that here sorry excuse me about that it's a terrible I thought I'd done it already so I'm, there we are I'll just throw this over here and then we can have a look right so the winner for last week was uh, Clue Music that's K-L-U-E M-U-S-I-C at that's the Twitter handle because you do need to be uh, on Twitter to enter the competition he tweeted uh, spectral synth the hashtag spectral synth to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc which is the way that you enter so it's worth high up because I mean the odds are quite good I mean we're not getting you know thousands of entries to these things so you do stand a pretty good chance if you keep entering and we're doing one a month at the moment until they stop I recommend it's worthwhile so this week what we're going to do we're going to go for right you can win Isotope Iris this week right what you need to do is you need a Twitter account, obviously, and you want to tweet the hashtag found sound. Uh, what I do is I do a search for that and I just get the entries automatically and then get a random number of the number that came in counted up from the first in to the last in, and that's the person that wins. So I want you to send that to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. Uh, that's great because they're also monitoring it. And the more entries we get, the better they feel about uh, us and uh, the, the social media aspect of this competition. So, yes, win Isotope Iris, hashtag found sound, at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. Uh, go to it, and next week we will pick another winner. So uh, very much appreciate that they are sponsors of the show. So thank you very much to them. Uh, so our next topic shall be... Uh, all this administration I have to do. Let me see. Right, uh, his piece. Oh, yeah, this is really cool. Bank or Voodoo Bio recording sessions at a, a studio in the country, which is in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Uh, I will fast forward this. Uh, this is a beautiful looking studio, I have to say. Absolutely gorgeous. Been open since '73. Out in the country. Um, let me have a look. There's various live rooms and what have you. Then they go outside, and this is the thing that really blew my mind. I just didn't think these things existed anymore. And we've uh, so here's the live room, and then the uh, and the amp room, and then here we go. Yeah, so we're going outside. I'll fast forward to that. He's going to show us the echo chamber. That, that's the playback system and then a pair of pair of speakers and I think they play some back while we're in there I just thought that was awesome I don't know what it was about it but just it just I found it um, I think I found it on one of the uh, reddits uh, music production and um, I just thought, A, yeah, that's a great-looking studio. It's in uh, Louisiana. It's been open since, uh, let me see, I think I've got a studio in the country. I've got some, looks like a lovely place. It's got an amazing client um, 
list. Uh, I think Willie Nelson recorded there. There we go, Willie Nelson. There's a big client list there, and uh, just some really nice photos. But just ha- actually, it actually having an echo chamber. Oh, look at that. That's some real dudes from back in the day. So, and it's nice to see a studio that's kind of got the history and still still running. I mean, I hope they're, they're doing okay. I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful to me. Uh, I did see there's a picture of it, actually, which looks a really funky place. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, location. Yeah, check this out. It's that sort of... Look at that. It's like some weird sort of... Um, yeah, just a un- really unusual building, that. I don't know. Rich, have you ever heard of this place? Because, I mean, it seems like it should be one of those studios that has a legendary status somehow. Perhaps maybe if you're from the south. I don't know. Yes, I have heard of it. Oh, cool. Have you been there? Looked very nice. Looked very nice. Chamber sounded pretty good, too. I I like the sound of that chamber. Um, And later on, we're going to talk about a video where we heard another chamber in the video that that I've actually used. Uh, But this one I haven't used, and it sounded really nice. Uh yes, <laughs> sorry you threw me there with a sort of, with that sorry. preamble. But um, so how do you tell when a, a chamber is good? I mean, how do you? I guess how do you build a good chamber? I and mean, that looks like you know it's all rendered walls and it's all sort of must be. There must be like a golden ratio of the room, or is it down sort of hit and miss? Almost every chamber I've ever used, I think, came down to some aspect of hit and miss. Right. I think a lot of audio. <laughs> falls into the hit and miss category. Um, and if you're listening carefully, you make the best of your hits and your misses, and you try not to use too many of the misses and use more of the hits. But uh, that chamber sounded great. It sounded uh, just like it looks. Tall and slightly boxy, but very concrete and nice long decay. How do you mic up? What sort of mics would you use for that? Would you use cardioids or a pair of omnis? or? Like- it looked like they had 57s up or something. Yeah, but, uh, I can't believe they did that. That's just I'd crazy. I'd to, to at least put a either a stereo pair or a stereo mic in. Um, I, they had a pair of whatever it was they were using. But uh, how do you do it? You just by ear, you just go out there and you move them around until you think you found a nice place where you get some sort of image out of the thing. In a place that size where you've got to walk across the I, yard, that's going to take you some time, right? <laughs> no, that's why you hire an assistant with a set of headphones. I guess and so. run a cable to the thing and so you could talk to them about where the micro... And preferably nowadays, a camera, go video or what have you, some kind of camera rig so you can communicate with the people in the chamber while that's being done. Also, it also it's funny because the playback you're going to put in there is really important. I mean, if you're playing it out of like an old aura tone, you're going to get one kind of tone. And if you're playing it out of what they, what looks like stage monitors is what they had or something, then you're going to get another kind of tone. And, uh, I'd be, you know, it's funny because people never seem to be quite as focused on the playback systems in the chambers as I would be. Or the right. Microphone. What would you use for playback? Would you use studio monitors or big, big honking sort of PA speak full range PAs? If I could afford it, I might use L-acoustic stage monitors because I think they sound magnificent. Um, right. Uh, but a good pair of stereo speakers. The, the speakers I'm listening to the last couple of weeks would do just fine in there. They're uh, a pair of powered pre-Sonus monitors called ah. S8. Are they the ones with the, uh, with the, are they the dual concentrics? Yes, concentrically mounted driver and a uh, nice port on them, and they sound really good. 
at the oh, moment. I've, I, I wanted to check them out. It's kind of, it, but it's it, it's always difficult to sell the concept of a review when we do video because I mean, what do you do in video? You go, hmm, yeah, that sounds nice. You know, it's really right. hard to review speakers. <laughs> speakers does that sound but good? Anyway, yes, it does sound I good. Would, you know. Anyway, I would consider using something like this, for example, in in a chamber because. Just because. Now, maybe you don't have power in the chamber, and maybe you want to use something that's passive and run speaker wires out there instead of right. power. Like, whatever. There might be other considerations. But these uh, these do sound nice. But I would try to pay attention to the playback in there and the microphone. I would spend some money on microphones. I'm not sure I would buy, you know, three, you know a pair of $3,000 microphones. But I'd put something really nice out there. Right. A couple of them. I just uh, there's some great pun there's some great punnery happening in the chat room here. This is uh, somebody's toilet sounds really good as an echo chamber, and uh, somebody came back sounds a bit crappy to them. But I just saw Bubba <laughs> Bing. Yes. Anyway, I don't want I don't want to dwell on that because we don't want to get. But Mark echo chambers. You've been worked in studios in London a long time. I mean, how long has it been since there have been echo chambers? Did digital reverb just knock all that on the head? Because there was a big time when the plates the big plates got put back in the EMTs and what have you, wasn't there? I don't know. I mean, I remember working in terminal studios in South London and we set uh, speakers up in the stairwell and we did all our drums with the the reverberation from the stairwell and just stuck NS10s and a nice mic out there, I think, um, and fed fed the toms through it and then gated it and it sounded good, actually. And, uh-huh. then, um, and then I realised I could do the same thing in the tower block I lived in. That was way before. I mean, I did... I remember hiring a Yamaha R1000 for my home demos and putting a Yamaha R1000 reverb on things. But And then and then I tried the whole stairwell thing, and the stairwell sounded better. And at risk of annoying the neighbours, I sort of thought it was worth saving the hire fee to, to do that. So, But the, uh, going back to the room, there is... There is um, I was doing measuring there's a hole here in glastonbury which i measured all the i worked out how long it was how high it was and how wide it was and i tried to work out what the fundamental frequencies were and we kind of worked out that it was f uh, the note f in there and then i worked out lots of measurements and worked out that it was close to 174 hertz which is a very low f so our ears had told us much the same as the measurement but in doing that, I also found out that there are golden ratios for acoustic design for halls like that, for church halls and uh, halls where there's going to be concert performances. And the golden ratio is <laughs> 0.62 times 1 times 1.62. From so memory. That- Check that out. Hold on. No, I didn't do it from memory, six, actually. I just looked it up. 0.62. Yeah, all right. So 0.62 times 1 times 1.62, um, which is kind of – so um, it's just interesting that people, people have worked out that that gives you the best diffusion and the smoothest and widest distribution of sound, no lumping, and uh, sort of smooth resonant modes in the, in the room. I'm so guessing – so- there's Sorry, lots of room mode calculators on, on the internet, including some HTML5 and Java ones. So if oh, you right. Google it and go and look for it, you can type in your room dimensions and work out what the dominant frequencies are in the room and what the standing waves are doing and all sorts of stuff, actually. And it does seem to, the, the mathematics does seem to correlate quite well with what we heard with our ears when we measured it. And um, 
So and we were playing tones and finding finding where things got more resonant and stuff. So yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure, but I mean, I'm guessing you know early concert halls, you know, like in the sort of 1700s, 1800s, must have been geared around the kind of scales that things were generally written in to sound good. So there must be, I don't, or, or whether, you know, because if you're talking fun, if there are resonant frequencies, then certain keys and certain roots are going to sound better than others, I suppose. I mean, I don't know if that's right. Does that, you, you looked, you look concerned when I said that, Rich. I'm <laughs> I just don't know how calculated these things were back then. Right. Uh, or well, their scales were way off, weren't they? Their harmonic well, minor scale is completely different to what we've got now. 200 I'm years ago, sure. they had a totally different set of scales. I'm not sure if you take a, if you take a 200, you take a 200-year-old flute and you put it next to a modern flute and you play them together, they'll be wildly out of tune with each other. In terms of the tuning standards, were completely different. Yeah, so the way they measured it was different. Interesting. We we have talked about that before. I wonder. I I wonder how big a room has to an echo chamber has to be because you used to get those ones in the basement that would be sort of underneath and they would be long, low cellars with kind of quite complex uh, maze-like structures in them. I'm sure I've seen those. In, you know, sort of tours of uh, is it Ocean Wave got something like that? I'm not sure if Oceanway has. Um, I think they might. But uh, Bear Tracks, which was a studio in Suffern, New York, that's featured in a topic we're going to talk about in a little while, um, had some wonderful chambers that I've been in and used. And uh, Cello had some famous vocal chambers. And pretty much anybody who's near a hill tries to dig something out, put some concrete in there and create a chamber. I mean, it just seems like if you're a studio in that kind of an environment, it's fun to do and it's... And you said earlier about reverbs and how it got sort of replaced by, and I don't think that that's not the, my experience of it at all. It was always side by side with other artificial means of getting spatial information into music. Right. So you'd had the 140 plate. Maybe you had the 240 gold foil. Maybe you had an AKG BX20 spring. But you also had two great sounding chambers out in the park, you know, behind the parking lot, dug into some hill somewhere. Or in the case of uh, Bear Tracks, one of them was in a silo, an actual cylindrical silo. Ah. And, uh, and uh, you'd use them to taste. It's interesting because I know um, when I used to work with uh, Will, Gregory Goldfrapp, he had a BX20 and uh, an EMT plate and another um, spring. They had two springs and a, and a plate, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And they, they, def- they definitely sound, love, you know, they've got a certain something about it Absolutely. that sounds just awesome. And uh, springs sound wonderful on guitar. I mean, yeah. it's just yeah. classic, iconic guitar reverb sound is when you put it in a spring. Definitely. You, you don't need, Sorry. you wouldn't need that bigger space to get your reverb either. Because um, the, if you think about sound travels at about uh, 1100 and something feet per second. So if you had, a, say, a thousand feet of room and you played, played something through a speaker at one end of it and put a microphone at the other, it would take a second to get there. If you've got a reverb a second long, that's a lot of reverb, but if you think your first reflection is a second later and then they bounces back and forth and you're going to get, you know, that would be echo a thousand plus meters. So you want, you'd need quite a small room, I think, to get um, 
to get reverb and then you want it to be like really hard surfaces so that it bounces around a lot in there so i don't think it i don't think your room needs to be that big it just needs to be made of the right stuff sports halls are good because they've got hard floors um the sound bounces off the floors the ceilings the walls and then you get like lots of diffusion and then you get like a big a very complex sort of big sound yeah I mean, just the, the, the acoustic nature, the, the, the nature of sort of acoustic design for echo chambers is just sort of a bit mind-blowing. But anyway, I mean, it's an interesting concept. And, and just the fact that I would, I would think now any, any studio that d- still has something like that in the same way that they might still have a you know, two-inch tape or whatever, it's got to be a, a unique selling point. And it's not something that you can replace you know, for a specific sound. And it's great that you know, a studio like um, uh, Studio in the Country is, is going and still going. It's, it's like a... Uh, makes me feel warm inside and uh, I hope they are still going I mean the website's still up as I said I've got I've got that here and that's what it looks like and it's a funky funky looking building the sort of thing that if you get creative block you can sort of wander outside sit on that little bench and just kind of go it'll be alright yeah. when I go back in you know that's nice I like the it's sound the of that universe. can I just say one last thing yeah and that is if I took a set of speakers and I stuck them in an anechoic chamber with the microphone and I matched those two things by playing white noise through the speakers, and I knew what the EQ response was between that particular set of speakers and that particular set of microphones, that would theoretically give me a flat response on that particular setup. So it doesn't matter so much which speakers or which microphones I use as long as I match them. And then if I put those in the space, then I'm going to get the sound of the room and the coloration of the room in a flat within a flat kind of medium if you think of the speakers and the microphone as being the medium um Mm -hmm. so i i don't know that i'd spend masses of money on microphone i'd probably buy a behringer those pencil mics maybe or my pzm actually measurers yeah pzm's on the walls some of those those pencil mics and then a nice set of speakers something uh not hugely expensive but that, that had full range and a reasonable sort of sound yeah, that's where I'd go with it. Nice. Uh, to Angry Bonbon in the studio said, weirdly, the postman has just delivered my new TC Electronics Hall of Fame reverb pedal, which will be just like that studio. <laughs> Possibly right. Uh, anyway, that's a great... So- and, uh, it's jolly good uh, news. Right. Um, there was one other top that... There's the next topic, which I was going to try and play, and I think maybe this is the one that you were talking about, Rich. Uh, we'll see. This is a, a track by Empire of the Sun called I'll Be Around. <laughs> And it sounds so Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> it's untrue, <laughs> apart from the voice. The voice is a very interesting character, I must say. I'll just pull that down a little bit. The Australian band, Empire of the Sun, this is off their new album. Um, when I was young, that's the song. feeling was there, it is still there. Ice on the Jews. Strange looking Australian, but this is a a very specific kind of vocal sound. And there's been much discussion about how or you know how that might have been achieved because it's such a sort of strong part of what they do. They're very into the sort of whole retro recording. I guess you know that whole Daft Punk vibe where you know the retro sound, which I'm sure Rich, you must know oodles about, seeing as your boss has been involved in that. And as it as we've t- as we were told, imparted some of the black magic secrets of making good disco records to the uh, French duo. But the, in terms of this, 
interesting vocal sound. Uh, they they spend clearly spend a lot of time on it, and I don't know if they do that in the states or whatever. Um, according to the you know the notes and and what they what they say, what do you think was on there there then? That because that was one of the one of the questions that sort of came up. How would you achieve a sound like that if you were approaching it and were asked to? I'm assuming this um, is the topic we were talking about. That sounded quite, quite. How echo is that going to get? How am I going to get that vocal? That I. First of all, I enjoyed this record. It was very nice. Didn't remind me of Fleetwood Mac at all, but it did remind me of mid '80s English synth pop quite a bit, mm. um, which is a little more consistent with its. Australian I want to be origins. with you everywhere. So, as Geeky Disco says in the chat room, that that is a very reminiscent sound world. Yes, um, but in any case. Um, First of all, there's probably an isotope nectar preset that will do this for you. <laughs> Seeing as how they're show sponsors, I figured I should mention that right up front. Quite um, possibly. But I, I, I hear that as a combination of um, some stereoizing a la that kind of micro-shift module we were looking at in the Eventide before, and uh, Ken at Sound Toys has one called Microshift. That's wonderful. That. Uh, provides three different micro-shifting emulations that are wonderful. And um, so there would be some amount of that, but not fully wide, because I don't hear this vocal as being presented in a wide stereo context, but they would be down in in that, you know, uh, you know 10.30 and 1.30 o'clock range, down close to the middle. Um, all of that feeding a ambience series that would include tempo sync delays and some kind of gorgeous lush reverb or two yes i definitely heard that sorry some kind of exciter some kind of exciter nonsense somewhere along the way as well yeah it sounds like maybe in excess of what the harmonizer stuff provides but you may not need it it depends on the voice you've got how it was recorded but in general i might choose to do a little high frequency uh shall we say stimulation along the way (laughs) yeah so you may say that and that's a great phrase to uh to live by i would say high frequency (laughs) stimulation Um, the one thing that I've noticed, because there's 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 a technique that's been coming out specifically for uh, like big uh, electronic pads, particularly that kind of super saw thing, you know, the big sort of lead sounds, which is to create a large reverb space, but to gate it around the phrasing of the actual uh, signal. So you know, you get this massive open wideness, you know, the the the, the largeness of the ambience, but without the tail. Obviously, would require probably quite a lot of macro. I was wondering whether something like that was going on because when it sings, it sort of opens into this large space, but you don't get a sense of the large space decaying um, apart from those th- th- those BPM uh, uh, echoes that you were talking about, the delays. So I wonder if that's a technique that might be being used in there as well. I don't know. In, in addition, those delays will feed the reverb chain. Ah, right. Okay. And uh, the reverb chain will have uh, some pre-delay involved as well because you want a little bit of cleanliness at the front before all of that stuff hits right i (laughs) see what you're saying you you need at least i don't know 10 or 20 milliseconds of clarity before you know the onslaught of (laughs) all of that stuff of of that (laughs) begins and what it does is it lends a clarity by disconnecting the vocal from the ambience that way it lends a certain clarity to the voice. The voice doesn't get swallowed up in all the ambience. And if you keep the delays in musically uh, related 
timings, you can use more of them without them becoming apparent, 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 apparent. Ah, and, uh, interesting. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Native VS says in the chat room you can use the Yuhi uh, Satin, which is a tape plugin for that Dolby trick where you, yes. uh, you only encode and decode, so you get that high-frequency emphasis without it being taken off at the other end. So single-ended uh, noise reduction part of the process. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, that would qualify as high-frequency stimulation. I would say it would, yeah. Um, what's interesting about this is also, you know, I mean, th- it's so massive. I mean, you know, you are aware of the chorus guitars and the sort of drum machine-type vibe to it, but the thing that is hitting you is this enormous vocal sound, and it's quite common through, if you listen to some of their other tracks, it's a very common theme, because, I mean, I... I I don't think the guy is what one would consider to be a sort of uh, a vocalist with chops. You know, he's not that kind of, you know, soul vocal. It's more, it's very ethereal as well. And it just strikes me as, you know, how, because I know I, I, I've talked about this before, but the, the way that uh, certainly US productions very, very tightly focused on the vocal production editing and the getting it absolutely bang on and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it, it, it's... I don't, that must take such a long time. I don't know, Mark. Do you, do you have you kind of gone the same route with? I know you process a lot of other audio, but the vocals are something that you would spend that amount of time and give that much importance, or you let the melody and the lyric carry no, it. No, I, I, I can't sing, so I process my vocals to absolute <laughs> the nth degree. And but I think I listening to that sound. There's a plug-in by. Um, I know they're saying they're doing it all analog, but there's some consistency to that sound, which sounds like it's done with something else. So there is a plugin called, is it called Throat by Antares? And it sounds oh, like yeah. it's got that gassy kind of edge that that plugin gives you. But that's not, I, I don't like that sound as much as I like making that sound myself. And the way I'd make that sound myself would be to sing the whole track. Then to sing it again, so I got like a double track, but to gate the double track using the main vocal to make it so tight that you can't hear the double track anymore, it just gives it a kind of chorusing effect. Then maybe put like, if you want to go in the analog world, some Roland Dimension D, or if you want to go in the digital world, the Yamaha Symphonic kind of thing, or if you want to do it with a plug-in, there's various different plugins, ensemble kind of plug-in. The ensemble plug-in in Logic is good stick it on so you've got like five instances of the voice kind of swirling around but all tight and then but but anything that's happening i would keep gated off the main voice and then i would whisper the whole song yeah it sounded like and then i would do a horse version of the whole song like (laughs) 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 slightly scratchy horse a very whispery one and then i'd kind of balance them all up and whack loads of compression on it so it glued it all back together keep it gated off the main voice and then put the delays and the other kind of swirly stuff on as well afterwards. So um, oh, I don't think that's how idea. they've done it. it does, there's a consistency to that breathy sound. It's too consistent. It doesn't sound... It's, it's either... I mean, I right. suppose it could be white noise on a synth. That's another way you could do it. But there's lots of ways of, of doing that. You just gate whatever you're adding to the voice off the voice and then balance it in very carefully and sort of use the, use the voice as the guide or the shape for where that sounds following. And I thought it, they sounded like the Passions. Can you remember the Passions? I'm in love with a German film star. It's got no, that I don't. Of, that feel to it. That's a beautiful song. It's got like lots what? of overlapping delays. 
It reminded me a bit of sort of cowboy junkies kind of ethereal sort of thing, but that was more straightforward, um, less produced, I suppose. It was the Trinity Sessions, I think. That's showing my age a little bit, but uh, yeah, shut up, Grandad. The the middle of the song also sounds like Cyndi Lauper. Ah, yes, that's true. The the guitars, the the guitar-y kind of sound. Time after time, yes. I I, I think I got that. Yeah. Good grief. That's that it really is retro, isn't it? And a bit pet boysy in places as well. So yeah, all of it. But it's interesting that, you know, I mean that I, I suppose, you know, with the vo- voice being that big, you'd spend a lot of time kind of tidying it up, neating it up, and making it do exactly what you wanted to do. And it's uh it's an interesting approach. Um Yeah. Definitely. Do, I, do you, do you, Rich? Do you find that you're called upon to, to to go to that level with a lot of the vocals that you're working on, the stuff that you do, or is that is is the the essence of the song delivered in other places, perhaps more? No, well, some of what Mark described is stuff we do uh, on occasion, not all the time, but uh, when you're after a certain thing, and the whisper vocal is definitely something we've done, and the going after different kinds of alternate voices from the same source vocalist is something in the broadest sense that we've done, although not necessarily the voice Mark was demonstrating. Um, (laughs) But I very much enjoyed the whole conceptual discussion because it relates back to what I saw on the tracks that I was presented in 2002 when I first met Mark. So I'm like, as I'm listening Uh, to you describe this, I'm remembering what I saw when I got there and some of this was represented like that and it was cool. And we Excellent. may have used some of it on one or two songs, the titles of which escape me at the moment. I mean, the it's nice thing about being able to group things in Pro Tools is that you can take one thing and you can you can look at the shape of that thing as your lead character, I suppose, and you can just tr- trim everything out. So I quite often do backing vocals and I go, okay, that's the main vocal there. And I trim all the other vocals to match the timing of the, the top track. And then right. I just put fades in and fades out on all the, the the stacked stuff underneath, and it all starts and stops at exactly the same time as the one on top. So you and do it's that like ma- gating it off, but it's manual. But you're doing it completely manually, and you go through the whole song and just tweak every single word, and uh, and and that makes it very tight. You can't. I mean, you can do it with a gate, but you sometimes get that kind. Of yeah, yeah. In the background that you don't want. And then once you've really, really, really gated it, then you smack tons of compression on it, <laughs> which you can do because there's no background noise anymore because you've just erased it all by uh, cutting it all out. So, so strip, strip silence and logic works pretty well or doing it by hand in Pro Tools works pretty well. And I'm sure if Gaz was here, he'd tell us that there was an amazing tool in Reaper that would do it all for you. There may yeah. be well, actually, but that's interesting. That one that Robbie suggested, yes. which I forget, that that sounded good. Have you Revoice, have you checked that out? Revoice, Revoice Pro. Pro. Yeah, yeah, I think it was what it was called. It was by the Synchro Arts people who that's had right. done uh, vocal line, which is more and for ADR. I've, but this, I've been studying a bit about this plugin, and I see why Robbie's attracted to it, and I would like to try it in doing what Mark is describing because it may actually work very well for that. And do it all in one kind of swell foop. Yeah. Time saving is not often a bad thing in many instances, as long as you don't have too much uh, compromise. Well, no, there may be there may be actually a musical benefit to using certain aspects of the length difference. You know, and I, it just it, it'd be worth listening to. 
to see how they did it because if you didn't have to sit there and draw all those fades, it'd be really nice, you know. Or if, <laughs> or if you well, yeah. <laughs> strip unless you're being paid by then, if you're yeah. being paid by the hour, it's all right. Yeah, unless they then yeah. go, you know what? I think we're going to redo that vocal. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not good. Oh, welcome <laughs> to my. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> the sort of thing. That, world. That's the sort of thing that one has to deal with. I guess, I guess. But then if you use the ADR plugin, you could apply the, you know, you could get the flavor of the old vocal, but with the the difference of the new one, perhaps, or something along those lines anyway. Well, I watched them use Revoice Pro to create a doubling of a rhythm guitar track on a demo video. I think it might have been Pro Tools Expert. I'm not sure. But uh, it was pretty good. I was impressed. Nice. I was impressed. That, it didn't that... sound like two of the same thing at all it was they were modulating oh. it in such a way that it really that sounds interesting. i guess the thing is is I, with something like that if you had something a, a delay plugin that was being modulated randomly or musically again so you had two copies of the same thing but the other one the delay was just being moved in and out in an in a, in a random that's, but musical fashion i guess that would have that's the same flanging and chorusing when you do that well i suppose it, no but to a larger degree where it's it has a, a to timing. be stepped it can't be it can't be ah. according to a, a like a control voltage waveform. I would have it to be a sample like and hold kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yes, there has that's to be a good point. Randomization to the way the processing is applied to the original in order to make it authentic and not have it sound like chorusing. That's interesting. Gosh, that that I, I'm I'm kind of I only wish I had a multi track to work on and try all this stuff out. I haven't at the moment, but I might. <laughs> Try and find one. So I did. Oh, actually, I was going to show the uh, Reapers available. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did. I did get this the other day, though. Yeah. This is the Whoa. Roland Ira System One, uh, which I have to say, you know, there's been a lot of speculation. It hasn't got. Uh, it didn't come with the plug out. Unfortunately, they haven't got that ready yet. But as a synth on its own, I I haven't plugged it in yet um, to, for the show. But I did have a bit of a play with it yesterday, and it's great. It really is fun. Um, the thing that really makes a big difference, and uh, let me see if I've got it over here, um, as well as the, uh, go that way, as well as the little effects section at the end, which is really handy just for sort of jamming with, you know, like it's nice to have a delay on a mono synth or a, in this case, a paraphonic synth. There's this, uh, that's it, it's that tone on the amplifier, which is like a tilt EQ stroke filter that once you've done all your filtering and what have you, you can change the characteristic of the sound so you can darken it up or brighten it up on top of the original filter. So it, tonally, it adds an awful lot of scope to the way it can sound. It can sound enormously massive. Um, is that a bit like plugging a synth into a wah-wah pedal? Is it a band pass? No, I think it's more of a tilt EQ. It's less of a... It's just, it's just like a tone control, effectively, a very simple tone control. Uh, oh. I'll try and plug it up. I'm, I... I, I they very kindly sent it, even though, you know, they said, look, the plug-out's not going to be ready yet, and it would make sense to perhaps review it when the plug-out is available. I can show you the button for the plug-out. Here we go. It looks very exciting. It is actually. There we go. You've got the uh, the model there. I don't know if you see that. System 1, if I hold it on my... Yeah, System and then the plug-out, which is the the other thing that you do, that you plug in. It actually could be quite I suppose, interesting i mean my 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 main concern with roland is that they love making things that they then cease to support and i'm going to keep saying this because i i mean although that's to my advantage i suppose when i bought a varios recently i paid about three pence for it so or three cents if you're american so it they devalue their stuff so much that it becomes really affordable but 
the Verios was supposed to have loads of different software. Yeah, to sure. For it, and then it, it did, well, I guess they didn't like sell it. Four different things. I guess the thing is, it didn't sell enough, so they didn't, they couldn't support the development of it. I mean, that's the only thing I would assume. But, the, but I mean, having said that, I can take that Verios and I can plug it in, switch it on, press the button on the front, and turn it into a Jupiter Eight, and it sounds brilliant. The only thing I can't do is turn the knobs without loading something into Windows ninety eight. But as I've worked out how to do that with uh, VMware, and I just run. Windows 98 in a window and then plug it in, in that way and have it in a virtual machine that works really well as well so I don't know I'm not complaining maybe but what I'm what I'm what I'm yeah. trying to get Orphan. you don't want to be orphaned yeah the green thing that you've got there has its own set of controls on it so while I'm sort of orphaned back in VMware yeah. and Windows 98 although and I've had to find that and work out that as a solution that won't be because it has its own knobs and faders and everything. So there's enough hardware uh, stuff on it to make it a usable thing without having to plug it into a computer. So maybe uh, it will. Maybe that will take off. Actually, it, it is. It, well, what's it, interesting it, about it is it, I'm told the way the plugout's going to work when you plug in a synthesizer that has less controls than this one has on the front, they just become grey. You know that they, they don't light up, so they're just not. Because each of the controls has got a little light behind it. Um, if you can see, uh, I don't know if the f all the knobs anyway have got a little light ring behind, but by them. And I'm not sure if I think yes, I think there's a light ring, a, a light collar on all the faders as well. So you get it'll show you what's active and what isn't. I haven't checked. Um, there's lots of questions coming in the chat room. No, I didn't get a plug out with it. They're not available yet. They're supposed to be coming in in July. But the one thing that was very interesting, I was just talking to uh, one of my Roland contacts, and the company has had gone through fairly major restructuring. Certainly in Europe, there is now a European-wide company rather than the individual territories. So now they've got they've actually got product managers for different categories of groups. And they've got, finally, and this is really quite interesting, um, that not only have they got a specific one for IRA product range, so that's just dealing with IRA products over the entire European market, um, which means, you know, that, that they're obviously going to focus a lot of attention. But they've also got one just for synthesizers. So there is actually, you know, what that... that makes me think mm, they're gearing up to perhaps some more some some more interesting things coming the restructuring is sort of fairly phenomenal on a corporate level if you know if you uh, from what i understand and so that's going to be quite interesting to see how it all comes um comes together really so i'm quite excited to kind of know but but and also in answer to your question i think it sounds pretty good actually it did it's, it's got a sort of it's very buzzy you know when you open it up but when you take it right down it's only got a 12 and a 24 db filter but there's a high pass filter uh, as well, but there aren't multi-mode filters. There's not bandpass, uh, resonant high pass. It's just 12 dB and 24 dB low pass resonant filter. Just to just to clarify that. But I'm yeah, assuming it's, has it got the same waveforms as a V synth or the, the Varios? I, I really don't know. I, th I think. Well, um, let me see. It's the two oscillators. The waveforms are nice. I doubt if it's going to be the same because this is new technology. So I mean. Uh, let me see what it's got. I can quickly, if I just come back to me. Uh, each oscillator has, it's got a saw, a square, a triangle, a multi-saw, a multi-square, and a multi-triangle. And then you have this button, this knob here, which is color. 
uh, which what that does is dial in more detune or more clones of it. But also on the square, the sawtooth and the triangle, it, it affects the kind of tonality of the waveform as well, uh, which I haven't really yeah, had a chance like to a, study. So it's sort of like a pulse width, but on a square. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you see that in a number of synths. That I think the, the Pulse 2 yeah. has pulse width on all the waves too. So, yeah, some yeah, interesting... Microbrute has some waveform adjustment on all of them. Yeah, so it's along those sort of lines. And, and I'm guessing, you know, for the price, it's going to be going up against stuff like uh, the... Uh, what's the, the, the... The Minotaur and maybe the um, uh, Base Station 2 and Pulse 2, I guess. Um, yeah, um... So, yeah, it does sound kind of cool. I think, actually, it's also got USB. I haven't checked out whether or not that does audio, but I'm guessing you're going to have to feed the uh, plug-outs. Uh, my friend Mike, Mike Gregg from um, SIR. Yeah. SSR. SSR. What are they called? Yeah, that one. He's also got one and been using it, and he said, and it's a USB audio interface as well. So I think that is. Yeah, well, that would make sense because the um, the TB, the, the you know the three up the three hundred three and the um, uh, you know the other ones are all audio interface. The IRA, the TR eight is also an audio interface and and checks out. So that would be interesting. But um, let me say, oh yes, there was one last topic very quickly, um, which was the uh, the focus right uh, twenty five year thing. I don't know if you saw this. Um, let me see if I got this guy. Uh, Maybe we'll do the changes in mixing before because we've had a bunch on mixing. If that's all right, Rich, I'm sure you are geared up for that. But I will um, just... I'm actually more geared up for this. Ah, cool. So if I press, press play on this video, then because this I've is the... on quite a few of these. Ah, cool. Well, that's... We have something in common. Basically, um, back in February, there was a uh, video made which was basically t to celebrate 25 years of focus, right? And this is geared around. There were 10 of these consoles made, uh, amazingly high specification. They were kind of like super consoles. Probably the last of them made, you know, super analog consoles. And this is an interesting video about the history of them and what have you. And I did use one as well. I'm uh, not personally. I worked on a mix where the guy who was mixing it was using it, and that was at Metropolis. But it's some beautiful footage and, you know, the history of it. And they've been all over the place. And a lot of them uh, have ended up in... Um, you know, in pieces and broken up, but some of them are still going. So it's an interesting video. And uh, Rich, you said you'd actually used uh, one of the folks records. Got more than one. More than one. Okay. Yes. Uh, there's some in. There's a couple in New York, or there were a couple in New York. I know one got very heavily damaged in the in the floods in Katrina. Was it? Uh, well, the, one in the, the video, video that got damaged was in New Jersey. Ah, okay. Um, but that was a later purchaser. In other words. Um, I remember when these consoles first appeared. I used the, I first used these consoles when they were brand new, and then also made a record on one some years later. Um, the two I used, uh, one of them was in Electric Lady Studios in New York, which is not mentioned in the video and is not apparently one of the original ten buyers because there were only ten of them made. Yeah. And basically what they had was the ISA 110 module, which had been designed by Rupert Neve before he sold the company. And then these next guys came in and they wanted to turn that into the, the sort of basis for a console model, which would then include normal signal routing options and then some exceptional signal routing options like multiple stereo buses and things like that. And, uh, but the sound of the thing is essentially the ISA 110. 
Yeah. And uh, we actually have a rack of them uh, over at Niles, but uh, it's they're wonderful sounding inputs and they're Neve design product and they do what you think a Neve design product would do. They sound great. And uh, consoles were fun. The one I used the most was at Bear Tracks Studio in Suffern, which is yeah. featured very nicely in this video and also had two outstanding reverb chambers. Ah. The feedback to our early conversation that are shown in the video uh, about uh, Bear Tracks here by Focusrite. And um, that was a lovely studio, and the console was fantastic. And we made a record that I really, uh, to this day, still enjoy. And um, so, yeah, I've used it. And it's basically an ISA 110 times however many channels you want. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, and then multiple mixed buses and all sorts of. I mean, it was just yeah. no expense spared, wasn't it? It was a suit. I don't know how much they cost at the time. Must have been. They were expensive. Tens, hundreds of thousands. You know, let, let alone a couple of hundred, a couple of hundred grand. Right. Yeah, a lot of money. Um, so but that in those days, because that was like 1982, 1981. Yeah, that's like a million quid, isn't it? Basically, that's a lot. It's a lot of money in those. It was before SSL had such a big foothold as they came to have shortly right. thereafter. Yeah, well, back uh, the people forget that back in those days, SSLs were considered, they're, they're very, very convenient because of the automation, but they weren't considered to be the sound. You know, people, right. were, uh, people were after Neve consoles at that time, or, right. or you know, right. there was AMEC. There were lots of other um, British uh, or un-American analog consoles that were preferred but it was the transition. That I, th I believe they, they also had automation. And I, I remember um, we were working on one in Met uh, Metropolis on a mix, which I'm going to play out because um, it's, it's hilarious because you wouldn't think that why would you bother mixing on that? I think we just got a deal on the room and it was the only one we got available. Um, but it, uh, but it, it, was, it went wrong and we had to wait for ages while they fixed like one of the buckets because they're all effect effectively, they were separate, almost individual consoles that were joined together on a master bus. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember uh, there was a bucket of eight that just went down and we had to wait while the guy set up. Mark, have you ever uh, ever had your hands on one? They look like sort of smarties, don't they? There's something very appealing about I, them. Yeah, I have, because I got it muddled up with the Neve because there's some similarities. And I kept trying to explain to somebody that I'd used this desk and explained what it looked like. And someone was going, yeah, that's a Neve. And then when I saw a Neve, I was like, no, it wasn't one of them. It was something else. But I think it might have been... Uh, it was in LA, so it must have been Ocean Ocean Wave or Ocean Ocean Wave. Yeah, which is on is that on Ocean Boulevard? That studio. I think I've never been sure. there. So I mean, but all I remember about well, I'm going to say this about Neves as well. Actually, I mean, maybe I was a bit uh, um, unseasoned, perhaps, when I encountered these desks because I was into like dance music and I was uh, and I. I'm a guitarist and I expect everything to respond when I turn a knob. And what I couldn't understand about the focus right stuff was that when you turn a knob, nothing happens. Or it seemed to me like nothing. Very happens. subtle, yes. It's so subtle. And it's because somebody's taken a beautiful microphone, put it through a beautiful signal path, and then they're doing something just to make it perfect. And I wanted something where I could grab knobs and turn things around. And to me, the SSL was like a bank of wah-wah pedals as a guitarist. It's like, oh, if I turn that knob, it goes... <laughs> yeah, harsh. Like, oh, I, can, I can hear where I want to brighten that sound up or push that <laughs> or, 
you know, I got these crappy, gritty 8-bit samplers and synths and things, and I wanted to, like, get crunch and nasty and gnarly, and the Neve and, and the Focusrite gear was just way too nice for me. Um, so there you go. I rest my case. And, and now... And now I've grown up, and I think I prefer the sound of Neves and Focusrite. So it's interesting, isn't it? I, I put. Um, I remember borrowing a pair of uh, ISA one tens um, back when I, you know, was building sample libraries and loops and stuff, and we needed a whole bunch. Of, and I remember sitting in my studio and sampling a, a record deck through, you know, nice preamps, and then into the Focusrite, and then into. Um, probably an audio media two card <laughs> thinking Excellent. that the sound would be via some crummy ah. phono leads no doubt i but yes yeah, so i've got a whole bunch of loops and stuff that went through that with a bit of eq and i used you know high pass filter and all that stuff but yeah they did sound marvelous i i, I don't know how audio familiar media, audio media two cards were nice though because there was something about uh, they're gritty and noisy but all the grittiness and all the noise is way up in the top of the end of the frequency range so it's almost like you get a free exciter built in especially on sample cell as well the sample cell cards had like a brightness that the akai stuff didn't have and like a a high frequency quantization noise in there that just made everything sound crystal clear although it wasn't but it had you know you had this crystal kind of clarity about it yeah it's amazing isn't it i, I remember the first because uh, we worked on the first golf rap album that was done between we had a cork 12 12 card and an audio media 2 card and this the digital sync the whole thing was look, linked up with like really like you know, a really crummy phono lead that you split in half and put and put <laughs> sp diff out to sp diff in for the clock <laughs> and you know that sound that album sounds beautiful and cinematic and filmic and it's all about the content and what have you but yeah it's quite funny when you consider those things but yeah that it's an interest it's a really good film actually it's got um some just that there are sort of grown men practically weeping at the uh, at the, at the sort of vibe and the memory of this whole thing and then you know i'm guessing they're happy there's there's a, a great piece i forget who said it there's one guy who mixed uh, he was mixing a tricky record i think it was max and k back in the day uh, which was a, a very unique sounding record very sort of masses of bass and soupiness but also quite well defined and um Tricky would say, apparently went into the studio and said, people have always said I'm sort of dangerous and, 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 and mysterious and what have you. And, and, and I've never really understood what they meant until I heard the way that this record sounded through the, the console, which is, is a rather a sort of, you know, philosophical way of looking at it. But yeah, I mean, it obviously has a certain magic for some people. I know, Rich, you don't, you don't buy all of this. Uh, well, uh, I think uh, it's lovely that the guy said that. And, yeah, uh, it was, it's a great quote, uh, isn't it? Was it Joseph J.J. Pugh is the guy's name, and he lived in Studio A. You've seen pictures of his enormous racks of gear in the back of of Oceanway A, behind that console. So he's sort of well known for using it. It was a good choice to have him in the video and telling these stories. And it's a funny story. That's all. Because artists say all kinds of stuff, don't they? They certainly do. It's funny. You know, that lit him up. That made him happy. And that's cool. Yeah. That's really all that's important. Whatever his reasons are, it's just entertainment to me. But uh, there are still a few. I, I, it seems there's a couple still in the States and uh, a few in Japan as well where they seem to be, uh, you know, I guess that's probably the only place people can afford them because they are notoriously difficult to uh, to maintain and because they're very you know the voltage has to be very specific and there was there's one thing in the gut where the guy's saying the problem is, is you know if there's any thunderstorms in the area which you're bound to have in the tropics from time to time the console just goes up and down like a yo-yo because yeah, any variation 
You yep, don't need so. your studio on an on, you don't put a console, you don't put a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar console and you just, just take one wire and plug it into the wall. No, I, mean, I guess you not. Do something to condition the power on the way in, you know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that does remind me of a funny story when I, I must have told this on the podcast before where I went over to, we were doing a mix. Ian Stanley, who's uh, produced Aha and Tears for Fears and all these people, he was doing a mix for us at the Woolhall Studios, which is no longer here. Uh, he mixed and I went, I, I just, we, we swapped. We did a mix for him, he did a mix for us and I went over to see, you know, how it was going and uh, it was Guy, Paul Corkett was his uh, uh, assistant or his engineer and he went on to do The Cure and a lot of big records actually and I just remember going there and it was a thunderstorm and I was listening I was like yeah great and then it just went bang <laughs> just the whole the power went out everywhere you know it was like emergency lighting and uh, Ian turned to Paul and said had you finished making the notes yet and it was like obviously the recall would come back on the automation but all the kind of delays all the outboard gear the rmx's all of that stuff it was just gone you know and it was like oh i felt well, so bad I, I left i think at that point i just it too painful at the studio where in bear tracks in suffern new york where jay beckenstein had his focus right console we were making an album with a group called strange folk in the summer of 1999 and a hurricane was due on the particular day that we were tracking a guy who played pedal steel guitar and dobro and things like that. And we were literally tracking the pedal steel guitar when the power went down. Ouch. It was, it was fine. Everything, you know, we didn't lose anything. We just had to stop. Yeah. And, you know, put your Wellingtons on and grab hold of an earthing point. Go grab, well, and, then try, <laughs> and then you go to the local hotel where they have no power. And I don't know if you know what the inside of an enclosed hotel looks like when there's no power in the building, but it is the darkest black I think I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> yes, as you had uh, said, Bop, Bop Studios in South Africa had one as well, and they're building a new um, one. Uh, if you watch the whole video, it'll, it'll explain. Uh, uh, now I come back to the... Uh, I'll, uh, we'll probably finish here because I've got to get off, but... Um, we did a mix uh, of a track by Vanessa Williams, who was a kind of like 90s... Um, she was like Miss World or Miss America or something, oh, wasn't she? a famous she? lady. She's famous lady, but at the time, she was just coming out of her modelling career and made a record, and it was very sort of Paula Abdul, Janet mm -hmm. Jackson kind of time. And we, we hired an engineer called JJ Allen, Ameri uh, who's an Australian guy, who actually went on to mix um, an album that we did. That was the first time we worked with him, I think. And that was at Metropolis, and we did it on the Focusrite console. It was something that was, it was during a transition when I was with the band uh, or the outfit, and it was um, when uh, my my musical partner was working more with Neil Davidge, who went on to produce all the Massive Attack stuff. Uh, and it was all a bit sort of housey and poppy, and not kind of my. I like pop music, but it was the sort of pop music I wasn't getting off on. But I'm going to play it and see whether you can tell it's got the Focusrite sound <laughs> as I play it. Ah. All I can say is it's very much of its time. Uh, so I will say that there is one other thing I wanted to say which is really random um, about the same time or just after we did a remix of Kylie Minogue and it was the, it was used as the A-side we put a rapper on it who was a, a lady called Jazzy P who bizarrely uh, there's a series of there's Big Brother in uh, the UK at the moment and it's just started and Jazzy P is one of the inmates <laughs> In, in Big Brother, I haven't watched it yet, but it's just that's just such a random connection that I just sort of felt. So, if you want to see a rapper, uh, she's now fifty. Um, 
she is uh, causing trouble in the house, apparently, and that's the, the lady we work with. But anyway, I'll now say goodbye to my guests. Mark has now got his uh, Ebenezer Good hat on, uh, his fairy catching, and one of his fairy catching outfits, I expect. I expect you could get a few fairies under there if you need to. Indeed. Um, thank you very much. Sorry, go. I was listening to um, Bob Blakely the other day. Can you remember Bob Blakely? Bob Blakely no. was the man on the UK voice who nobody turned round for. And he had the most amazing voice. And then I was thinking the other day, I, wonder, I, I actually started watching something from the Australian voice completely by accident. Didn't even realise they had the voice in Australia and realised that Australian singers... Uh, oh, I've got to be careful what I say. Some of the Australian singers are really, 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 really good. Let's say that. I'll stop there. Um, but then I thought, what happened to Bob Blakely? And I went and downloaded and listened to his album, which Mike Bass recorded, actually, of Womble's fame. And who's no not relation to, to you, me, right? no, sadly. Um, but I was listening to Bob Blakely. He's done a version of Life on Mars, which is absolutely epic. And I was listening to it on Glastonbury High Street and I was going to put my mobile phone underneath my hat because I thought that might, it might, you know, create a nice kind of sound having it inside my hat. <laughs> so I've got Bob singing, it's a god-awful small affair <laughs> in his big Bob voice. And yeah, it is. But I actually, I recommend the album. After all that, I, whether okay. you wear it, put it on your iPhone in your hat or whether you listen to it on high-fidelity speakers... <laughs> Bob Blakely is awesome. I'm really, you know, nice. He's really, really good, and I just I, it astounds me that none of the judges turned round for him because he has got a hell of a voice. He's brilliant. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Mark, for that, that final um, story. And uh, we will see you next time. I hope you have a great Indeed. week uh, yes. hunting fairies. Thank you very much. Cheers. And yes. Rich Hilton over there, who's no doubt off to uh, apply some of those awesome vocal mixing techniques on some massive project or other wherever he is thank you very much for joining us too rich been a pleasure to have you well thank you for having me and uh just one brief moment of promotion here yes i'm off i'm playing uh, in ibiza on friday at the hard rock hotel playing in barcelona on saturday at the sonar festival and in the june issue of keyboard magazine you can read my review of the roland rd800 Ah, cool. Um, so that's uh, that's all the self promotion I can squeeze in here at the end, Nick. Uh, well, thank you very much. much. Very You're welcome. And I'm going to play us out with, and I've got a shot of this. I found this on SoundCloud. Um, it's the only place I've had. This is the Running Back to You DNA Extended Mix, and you will understand. I, I would just like to say this is probably mostly made up of Korg O1FWFD. You'll recognize all of the sounds. And uh, I think an, uh, uh, an S330 or an S760 sampler. And, uh, and, and my Akai probably in there somewhere. In fact, I know which one it is. There's a, there's a, there's a fill. I, did, I, did, I had very little to do with the music, but I did put some stupid noises in there. Anyway, I will now play this out. And uh, this is Vanessa Williams. Ah, look at that. It's of its time. Can you hear that? Focus right console goodness. The what it does to those 12-bit samples is just amazing. Oh yeah, and I think I'll, I'll probably get busted for this, even though it's my my music, essentially. I think we should let her vocal come in, and then uh, I will fade to black. 
I also should say that uh, I did set a challenge in the pre-show, which was, uh, can anyone recognise this? And Pop, in the chat room, nailed it. I think he used Shazam. I'm amazed that Shazam, it took him three goes, but it actually found it. Here we go. (laughs) 